you all begin. God's faithfulness. Uh, that's what we'll be talking about today. So a tried and true aspect of God's character, right? Um, millions of believers have experienced personally, and it's an attribute that's very precious, highly esteemed, and our portion in times of trouble. And God's faithfulness will be the, what we consider today. So we'll look at what the Bible means when it says God is faithful, three expressions of God's faithfulness, and then conclude with application. And we'll have some discussion together. So we began this series with the insight from A.W. Tozer, who said the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. Uh, High views of God produce high worship. Low views of God produce shallow worship. Low views of God are figments of our imagination. They're idolatry. Uh, What the Bible writers understood about God was a shield to them in times of trouble. It was a a sword in in the fight, in the battle of faith. It is a foundation which you build your life upon, the wellspring of joy, a bright f- fire um, that comforts us on a cold night. Uh, sound doctrine, right thinking about God does that for the Christian. It produces devotion. It produces doxology. And I tend to think sound doctrine, what this whole series has been about, are like pieces of wood that you stack together to create a fire. But the spirit produces the flame. Uh, You put both these two things together, sound doctrine and the spirit, and it produces a roaring, blazing fire in the soul. Without the spirit, we're merely pieces of dry wood. We're dead. No power. There's no life. So with that, let's pray for the spirit's help before we dive in. Father in heaven, we pray for your your help this morning. We pray that uh, God's faithfulness, your faithfulness, Lord, would, would be the anchor that would ground us in the raging storms. We pray it would uh, be a a precious truth that we would come back to time and time again. Uh, Praise in Jesus' name. So before we dive into God's faithfulness, what is the opposite of faithfulness? What's the opposite? Usually when you give a definition, you can't use the word in the definition, right? So you can't say unfaithfulness. (laughs) Right, right. When you say unfaithfulness, what comes to mind? Unfaithfulness. I would say one word would be separation. Okay. Um, also, like one of those words where I feel like you know, no one really, like, you never really think about the definition, right? Uh, you just know what it is. Mm-hmm. But unfaithfulness, or again, lack of faithfulness, I would say, um, you know, a loss of trust. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Leads to a loss of trust, yeah. Someone you can't trust if they're unfaithful, yeah. Disloyalty. Um, mm-hmm. Betrayal. Betrayal, disloyalty, yes. Yes. Comes to mind wishy washy. Someone who says they're going to do something, but they never actually do it. Lukewarmness, yes. Um, yeah, so what, and. The opposite of that, what is faithfulness? And, and the faithfulness in the Bible is called steadfast love. Right? The Hebrew word is hesed, which occurs 250 times in the Old Testament. And hesed refers to an unwavering commitment. Just this idea of loyalty, right? It's a, a, you say, who said loyalty? You say loyalty? Yeah. Uh, a solemn oath that cannot be broken. 
unwavering in a commitment to do something, promising something and being absolutely reliable. Uh, so we can say a faithful friend is someone who sticks closer than a brother, right? Proverbs. Someone who is reliable, someone who you can depend upon each day. And uh, Louis uh, Burkhoff in his systematic theology would describe God's faithfulness as follows. He's ever mindful of his covenant and fulfills all the promises which he has made to his people. He continues, this is the utmost practical significance to the people of God. Uh, paraphrasing Burkhoff, he says, it is the ground of our confidence, the foundation of our hope, the cause of our rejoicing, our comfort when we are conscious of our own failures and shortcomings. Amen. God's faithfulness uh, is, is lifted up in the scripture in many places. He, he can be trusted. He can be relied upon. He is unwavering in his commitment to his people. Five verses. Uh, Let us hold fast to our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. Uh, Moses um, proclaims the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him to a thousand generations. God's signature line, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. Welcome, friends. We're talking about God's faithfulness. And perhaps the highest proclamation of God's faithfulness, great is your faithfulness, in Lamentations 3. Uh, The late David Pallison, a biblical counselor, uh, frequently pointed out that the last phrase was the most used line in the Bible. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And Pallison would say, if, if God thinks it's worth repeating that his steadfast love lasts forever, then it's worth our repeating it too. Um, God's faithfulness goes the second mile. But then it goes the third mile, and it goes the fourth mile. And then you realize it never ends. God's faithfulness continues and follows us, his people, throughout our lives. And each day is an opportunity to experience that mercy. So are there examples in nature that remind you of God's faithfulness? Examples in nature that that remind you of his faithfulness. Yes. The yeah, sunrise. We, we always have oxygen to breathe. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've been lost in the woods, and I was grateful for Polaris one time. What is Polaris? Polaris is the North Star. Oh. What a, that's a great example. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's a North Star. Amen. He is... He is as reliable as the sun coming up each morning. I don't remember where I heard this or even how accurate it is, but some there's there's some crazy uh, statistics about like just the where the Earth is positioned in relation to the sun. If it was even like one percent further or closer, life wouldn't happen. And if the mm-hmm. tilt of the axis were off just a little bit. Everything would cease to be, and mm. you know, just wind and waves and tides, and mm-hmm. just all of it somehow working together. Mm-hmm. 
quite improbably, but not so hard to believe. <laughs> we consider who put it together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember Jeff Stevens opened up uh, uh, a Sunday, this is maybe a year or two ago, we talking about, uh, I think one of his kids had like bruised, you know, elbow or something like that and you know he just kind of talked about like how we don't have to worry about like the skin naturally just taking care of that right the blood clots you know for, for most people obviously right the blood clots the skin reforms um, and mm -hmm. I still remember that mm -hmm. you know we don't, we don't have to think about it, it just happens mm -hmm. yeah yeah um, the point that I wanted to bring home in the class last week, which I think I forgot to mention, <laughs> is that, um, uh, you know, just how secure we are when we move towards the Lord and enter into his presence, you know, he's, mm -hmm. he's like a, a, a bird that shows great, faithful, regular love for uh, its, its uh, offspring, you know, mm -hmm. whenever they move close, uh, <laughs> Wrapped into God's mm. presence and protection. Mm. Yes, it's a great, it's a great image. God caring for his, his little chicklets as a as a mother would. I think for me, I I, I always picture like the, the the breakers, the waves always coming in, never ending on the beach. Like when I'm on the beach and I see that, it just always reminds me of God's faithfulness. It just never ends, always coming in. And God's faithfulness is that for us, is he not? As sure as the season's changing, as sure as the spring coming and the winter. Like, God is always faithful. He's always reliable. He is always to, can be relied upon in every season of life. And I looked up some hymns that talked about God's faithfulness, and here are just a few. Uh, there could be a lot more. Great is thy faithfulness. How firm a foundation it is well with my soul. He will hold me fast. The solid rock, amazing grace. And I'm just kind of skimming the surface there. But all these hymns, I think what we find precious about them is it reminds us of God's unwavering goodness towards us. Uh, and what an encouragement these hymns have been to the people of God, reminding us um, that he is the solid rock, an anchor in the raging seas, uh, we sang this at our wedding, uh, the solid rock. Uh, his oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And he is the solid rock in the flood, in the storm. And so for our time today, uh, we, we in intuitively understand what God's faithfulness is. Uh, we'll look at three expressions of God's faithfulness in the Scripture. Uh, so three expressions, and then we'll conclude with some application in our lives. Uh, first, God is faithful to keep His covenant promises. And this is the context of God's faithfulness. And it has been said the two certainties in life are death and taxes. Uh, the other certainty is God always, He always keeps His promises. And these promises often take the form of covenants. So a covenant is a solemn promise. This is when you pinky promise when you're a child. 
You know, I, I pinky promise I'm going to do it. Uh, and when you're older, you enter into other kinds of covenants. Uh, you enter into the solemn covenant of marriage uh, through marriage vows, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, for sickness and in health. Uh, a church covenant. Uh, you, you promise to, to love and give gifts of, of love and service. We break our vows, but God never breaks his. And God made a solemn covenant with Abraham in chapter 12. So if you turn there, Genesis 12, uh, verses 1 to 3. Uh, Would somebody mind reading that for us? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Thank you. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. So the context, God calls Abram out of the land of Ur and promises him blessing. Uh, and three things in the Abrahamic covenants. Uh, first is land in verse 1. Numerous offspring in verse 2. And then finally, verse 3, this offspring would be the source of blessing to all nations through one of uh, the seed that would come from Abraham. And later on in Genesis 15, uh, God would tell Abraham that this, his offspring would be as numerous as the stars of heaven. Uh, and this is an eternal blessing, uh, forgiven, accepted, sanctified, glorified, uh, joy in the presence of God. And, and in Genesis 12, he's restoring what was lost in the garden. Uh, God recreates the world. Remember that promised seed, that, he, that uh, Genesis 3.15? Uh, he will crush the head of the serpent. That offspring is going to come through Abraham's line and recreate what was lost. Um, in the garden. And Abraham would be the, the, uh, the progenitor of that offspring. Uh, and then in chapter 15, it says, Abraham believed God's promise, uh, and the Lord counts him, reckons him as a righteous man. As Romans 4 would tell us, because of his faith in that promise, he is accounted as righteous. He left his homeland, his family, Everything he knew and followed God to an unknown land because he knew God was reliable. But, but yet, uh, he, he believed God, but he still seeks assurance. Uh, ten years passes since Genesis 12. He is 75 years old, and he's still childless. He is doubting. So Abraham is doubting. He's wavering. God, you promised me 10 years ago that I would have an offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven. Yet I don't even have a child. He's getting older. And he's in an age where it is almost impossible to have children. Where is this promised seed that you promised to bless the nations? And Abraham asked God in Genesis 15, O oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? God, I need something more. God, I need something to assure me that this promise, you will keep it. And God, in His grace, answers that request. Uh, Hebrews 6, verse 17. 
uh, speaking about Abraham here, says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. He guaranteed it with an oath. God solemnly swears an oath of allegiance to fulfill his promise to Abraham. I mean, he didn't have to do that, right? He could have just said, Abraham, just stop asking so many questions. Do what I tell you to do and stop and, and just, just trust me. God, you're, you're so wavering in your faith. What's wrong with you? But God doesn't do that, right? He, he cares for Abraham's assurance. And he cares that you and I have an unshakable hope as well. And if you are in Christ, God is committed to working for you. He has made promises in the Scripture. And if you turn there on Genesis 15, this, this oath that God takes is in the form of a solemn ceremony in Genesis 15, verse 7 to 21. Morning. A curious ceremony takes place to seal that solemn promise, a solemn oath that God takes. Genesis 15. And covenants in the ancient Near East were sometimes ratified through a ceremony in which animals were cut up and the pieces were arranged on the ground. And that's what's happening in Genesis 15, verses 9 to 10. Abraham is called to take a heifer, a goat, a ram, and some birds and cut them up. The, the, the word for covenant means to cut the covenants here. So he's cutting them up in, the, in that ancient Near Eastern ceremony. And the two parties would walk between the pieces, stating that a similar fate would befall either of them if either of them broke their part of the agreement. They would be torn apart like the animals on the ground. But something very interesting happens in verse 12. A deep sleep fell on Abraham. So God puts Abraham to sleep, and it was only God who walks through the animal pieces in a figure of a smoking, fi- and a, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. So God takes Abraham's place in that ceremony. That's a dramatic moment in the scripture. What is this ceremony intending to communicate? Why would God put Abraham to sleep and then walk in the through the pieces. Morning. Striking. God not only takes He not only walks for himself, he also walks through for Abraham. Is it a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us? Yes. Yes. In in what way? If you elaborate a little more on that. uh, I'm not sure, but some of it is that in a covenant, you promise to do something. It is, it is not assured that humans that promise to do something are going to be pure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, the process of that commitment 
Mm -hmm. God walks in our place and carries us you know, in some substitutional way, then there's an assurance that the covenant will be maintained. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll just bubble a little more. Hey, I'm following. Amen, brother. Chris, <laughs> Olivia. Yeah, it's yeah. No, the 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 fifteen is a ceremony for the covenant he originally makes in twelve, chapter twelve, and in chapter twelve he promises land, offspring, and that uh, numerous offspring, and that this offspring would bless the entire world. So this offspring is sealing the promise that God makes earlier, which includes land. Serving in your house, but uh, and, and could somebody read is it like first eight or so to follow up on Luke's question? Where mm -hmm. uh, after Abraham sees the stars, you know, God says, "Your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars," uh, and Abraham believes God. It's counted to him as righteousness. But then I think he asks another question, but I can't remember what it is. Mm -hmm. How can I know I will gain possession of it? Mm -hmm. What was that? How, how, what, how can I know I will gain possession of it? So it is about the land. Yeah. Is that, is that right? No, it's, right? It's about the, um, the promise. Like, how can I know? I mean, it's, it's the land, but it's also the offspring. Um, okay. Because he doesn't have the offspring. He doesn't have Isaac yet. And he's, he's seeking assurance. And God is, he, he, he solemnly seals that promise through this covenant and God is saying, I will keep my end of the deal. And Abraham, if you fail on your side, I will take on myself the curse of breaking the covenant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's a unilateral covenant that God, I am going to do it on both of our sides. And that's a, that's a, driving, that's a driving engine that keeps the narrative moving forward in the Bible. Will God keep that promise? I mean, consider, I mean, God will keep his side. And we know that. Uh, but how can he really bless them when his people rebel against him. Right? God must judge the wicked because he is righteous. But he made a promise. Surely, if he is faithful, he must keep it. But how? Uh, in Proverbs, it says, those who justify the wicked are an abomination to God. So God promises to bless them, eternally bless them, but yet they are rebellious. And God doesn't just seal our assurance with oath and covenants, but with blood. And the blood, as we said, is, is foreshadowing the blood of his own son, taking the curse upon himself. Uh, to show his faithfulness, he would engrave the names in the palms of his hands. Uh, I love this uh, hymn from Joseph Hart. View him prostrate in the garden. On the ground your maker lies. On the bloody tree behold him. Sinner, will not this... Suffice? Lo, the incarnate God ascended. Plead the merits of his blood. Venture on him, venture holy. Let no other trust intrude. That's uh, a hymn, uh, Come, ye sinners, poor and needy. Uh, but we, we see that God is willing to keep that promise. 
where the maker would take on flesh and prostrate himself on the ground in order to keep his promises. And the covenants, and we, we, could, there's a, we did a study last year about all the different covenants and how they relate to, to each other. But the covenants are like the steel structure of the skyscraper uh, that keep it from collapsing into judgments. Uh, in the same way, God's faithfulness to those promises, his covenants, keep the plan of redemption from collapsing into judgments. Um, and there's a real drama in the doctrine of, faithful, of God's faithfulness. Uh, consider the Exodus. Right? Exodus makes that, this point that the people left Egypt, but they took Egypt with them in their hearts. Uh, the covenant that God made with Moses was broken before the ink was even dry. Uh, is God really going to be faithful to you know, an adulterous, idolatrous spouse? And you can read about that in the book of Hosea. Um, but God, there, there's, there's, there's a tension there, right? There's a tension. How is God going to keep that promise? And I think there's two ways this is often misunderstood uh, of God's faithfulness. I think in our selfie culture, we might be tempted to think, yeah, God is faithful because of me. I'm worth it, right? You know, he, he makes promises and he must keep them because he made it with me. Um, and that's the flavor if you turn on the TV or some radio station. Uh, everything God does is because I'm so worth it, right? Um, but listen to how Jeremiah pleads for mercy for God to keep his covenant promises. Uh, Jeremiah 14, verse 21. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. So that Jeremiah doesn't say, you know, Keep the covenant because we're so awesome. He, he's, he's pleading for mercy using God's own name. Do not dishonor your own throne, God, by breaking your promise. What a great way to pray. Uh, pleading the promises back to God. And if you struggle in your prayer life, I mean, consider following Jeremiah's example and take some promises from the Bible and pleading, pleading them back to God, saying, God, you know, you have you've promised... And pray that. And God will, God keeps his promises. But there's a second way this gets twisted. Uh, and uh, James Montgomery Boyce, a pastor for many years at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, uh, tells a story of a young man who had recently committed to Christ. Uh, he had been involved in sexual sin. And he desperately wanted to straighten his life out, to experience the true blessings of Christianity. Uh, unable to shake it, he made a white-knuckle commitment that he would stop having sex with his girlfriend. And that maybe that would bring about the, the true, uh, the blessings that he expected from being a Christian. Uh, but it, it didn't work. He actually stopped fornicating, having sex, but his life was still dry. It didn't work. He actually, uh, he, he, he thought he had done a great deal in his mind. He sacrificed for God. But God had not responded appropriately to him. God, you have not kept your part of the bargain. In his heart, he began to accuse God. God, I have been faithful, yet you have been unfaithful to me. God, you are unjust. The fault is at your feet. In his heart, he thought, maybe God is like the Wizard of Oz. You pull the curtain back, and you find that you know, God really isn't that great after all. God, you say you're faithful, but you really only half-heartedly love your people. If you read the Minor Prophets, this is exactly the kind of heart situation you'll find the people of, of Israel had, especially in Malachi. Does that describe you? Uh, so let me ask this question. 
what about God's faithfulness does this person misunderstand? <laughs> How would you counsel this person who came? I sacrifice for God, but God's not doing anything for me. What does this person need to hear? Well, first, it's not, uh, it's not a sacrifice to stop saying. <laughs> you, you can't claim that that is something that you can just give to God because he expects it and requires it already. And that's, there's a lot more to it than that, but um, that's the starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't expect God to be grateful for... <laughs> You, you're not doing, any, doing him any favors simply by doing what he commands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll probably think that what the person wanted from God is not necessarily what God wants uh, for him. And then also uh, the, the timing of it. Um, you know, God has his own timing. And it's not immediate necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Abraham waited decades. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of sounds like God's faithfulness is contingent on what we do. I don't know if someone said that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a transactional, like mm-hmm. I'm doing something, so I'm getting something in return. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see that in the book of Malachi when the people tell God, we've done our sacrifices, God. We've, we've tithed, yet you are unjust in how you've treated us. And those people, you know, one of the problems is they're self-righteous, right? Um, and they needed to repent immediately. And I, and I think... Um, yeah, that, that, there's, there's idolatry there, their motivations for why they're sacrificing in the first place. They're not really living as God is their ultimate treasure. And that leads us to our second point. So the first point was God is faithful to keep his promises. But the second point, God is faithful to afflict his people. Now, this is counterintuitive. Uh, TV preachers will tell you otherwise, but this is not our best life now. First comes the cross and then the crown. Uh, we are not exempt from trials and troubles. He is the God of the valleys as well as the hills. And we know that, right? Psalm 23. Our God is faithful through afflictions, not apart from afflictions. You know, God is even faithful in causing the affliction in the first place. He knocks us down. So you think about the context of the book of Lamentations. Uh, we quoted chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, is that great verse, great is thy faithfulness. But in the context, there are just teardrops all over the pages of that book. Uh, it's a sorrowful book full of anguish. And the author recognizes that God was behind it all. Uh, the writer in chapter 1 before chapter 3 would say in verse 4, the Lord has afflicted Jerusalem for the multitude of her transgressions. Verse 11, if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. 
verse 17, he has carried out his word which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. But in verse 18 in chapter 1 is very important. He, the, the writer says, the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. Uh, so he acknowledges that whatever we're getting, we, we deserve. God is not unjust. Uh, in 1 Samuel, Eli, the priest, was a wicked man because uh, it, it says he knew his sons were evil and did nothing to stop them. He never disciplined them. He never afflicted them in faithfulness. But God is not like that. He chastises and afflicts those whom he loves. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In faithfulness you have afflicted me. So the psalmist knew the afflictions were not, did not happen by chance, but because in God's wisdom, he wanted them to be so. Uh, the psalmist knew there is a purpose behind it all. He saw a divine providence in his afflictions. Well, to, to what end? Uh, Psalm 119 would say, It is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? That I might learn your statutes. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. Thomas Watson, in his body of divinity, says, The trials and sufferings of the godly are to refine and purify them. God's furnace is in Zion. Is it any injustice in God to put his gold into the furnace to purify it? Is it any injustice in God by afflicting his people to make them partakers of his holiness? What more proclaims God's faithfulness than to take such a course with them as may make them better? So you see, the afflictions that, that God imposes causes uh, for his people are for their good. Now, granted, our definition of good and God's definition of good might not be the same. Uh, but in God's economy, the weaker we are, the more we rely on him. There, there's truth in this statement. God is all you need when God is all you have. And sometimes God will knock us down when all we have is God for us to realize, you know, God is all I need. Um, God does not consume his people, but he refines them. Uh, Job 5, verse 17, Blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. And I'd, lo I'd love to hear you know, a time in your life when, in your weakness, God demonstrated his faithfulness to you. His faith, weakness sets the stage for God's faithfulness to, to really display itself. There was a time in my life when backpacking became an idol for me. And uh, I was in the middle of a trip with the family out to Colorado. The high point of my trip was going to be climbing Long's Peak, the highest peak in Rocky Mountain National Park. And uh, things were not working out for that to happen. And uh, Push God aside and put backpacking on a terrible weak point in my life. Um, and God uh, got my attention uh, uh, in my weakness <laughs> and said, Look, man, what, what you are doing here. Um, uh, and it, uh, I didn't climb like 
Long's Peak, but my relationship with the Lord got wonderfully renewed mm -hmm. through that miserable experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great example. Thank you, brother. first year of teaching and subsequent being let go from teaching um, was a, a very low point and then that really drove me into um, seeking God specifically in, um, in my church at the time um, and it brought about a lot of blessings and blessings um, by being brought low and, and by, by um, relying on God's people because I was not strong or wise enough to understand mm -hmm. the context of what I was going through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess I can, I can share a little bit. Um, I've always wanted to sing, but then I um, had a lot of, because like a lot of health problems and a lot of um, like family issues, I just couldn't for a really long time, for 10, 15 years. And then, um, but God has really shown himself to be faithful to me throughout this healing process. Yeah, it's, still, it's, mm. it's a journey, so I'm mm -hmm. still on the ground up. But um, I think to me that's one of the, the biggest signs of his faithfulness to me. You know, like, mm. And why I'm not in Russia. We thank God for it. Thank you. just so eye-opening to me and almost funny looking back to just be like, you know, 
it's so trivial also, right? Mm -hmm. Like here I am struggling and annoyed and frustrated with work and all of a sudden just God's just laughing, just saying, you don't think I have like your best, you know, plan already laid out, right? I'm going to guide you to a Christian man who's going to lead you. And I'm on his team ever since. And it's just like <laughs> so funny. Just, younger I was changing careers and I needed to uh, take courses and um, I was living I moved to New York City and after a year I was broke I, I needed to work um, and a buddy called me I used to be a volunteer leader in young life he called me up and he says he's got a problem he needs someone to come up and be a boss for month up at Saranac and I, I couldn't do it. I was broke. I needed to find some work. And so I asked the guys that I lived with, what do you think, just to get some counsel? And um, there were four guys, three of them didn't know the Lord. And they said, no, nah, you can't do it. And this one Catholic guy said, no, well, you should go. And so, for, you know, how often do I actually go out on a limb for the Lord? Well, not all the time. But this time I did. Mm -hmm. So I went up there for a month um, to the prison volunteer thing. And during that time, I met my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and we were married for a year and um, had four kids, 40 years, and we're blessed with 40 years together. Because for once, Brian, you, you trusted the Lord. <laughs> So I think about all the times where I didn't, all the gifts that were um, left behind in some mm -hmm. sense. So it's an encouragement to trust, mm -hmm. the, trust the Father. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God is faithful, yes. Uh, where would we be, right, <laughs> if he hadn't knocked us down uh, in order to show more of himself to us. And I, we all recognize that we can look, see this backwards, looking backwards in our lives, but it is hard to see that when it's going on at the moment. And that's just what principle that you have to look backwards to see God's faithfulness, his providence in your life. Um, and he is faithful to his covenant promises. He is faithful in afflicting us. And the last expression of God's faithfulness is he is faithful to preserve and save his people. In our distress, we can be confident that God will preserve us, preserving grace in our affliction. He doesn't merely save us, afflict us, and then just stand back waiting to see if we're going to collapse under the weight of it all. all right, let's see if this person has enough strength to keep trusting Christ in the affliction. Uh, Jude 24, right now to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Uh, Philippians 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he, began a, who, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Uh, God can keep you from stumbling. He is strong enough to preserve you 
in your affliction. God is strong enough to finish the good work he has started in you. He gives preserving grace. He preserves his own. Uh, I, my second favorite book of the Bible is uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And, um, <laughs> so I, I, if, I probably quote Pilgrim's Progress half the time if I'm, if I'm teaching. John Bunyan illustrates this so well in his classic, The Truth in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Uh, Though Paul had the thorn in the side, he prayed three times for the Lord to remove it. And God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you haven't read it, the central character in the book is a person named Christian. And he meets a helper named Interpreter. And Interpreter's job is to teach Christians truth that he will need for the journey of faith. And Interpreter shows Christian a fire that is burning against a wall. And how some, someone was standing by the fire trying to put it out by throwing water on it. Uh, but strangely, the fire did not go out. Not only did it not go out, but it burned brighter and hotter. And Christian asked Interpreter, what does this mean? Interpreter explained that the fire is the work of grace that God produces in our hearts, the grace of trust in Christ and our love for him. But the devil is constantly trying to put out this fire by pouring on it the water of temptations, worries, and trials. Uh, Then Interpreter wanted to show Christian how the fire not only kept burning, but kept burning higher, hotter and higher. So he took Christian around the back of a wall. And behind the wall, he saw a man who had a jar of oil in his hand, which he poured continually into the fire. And the Christian asked, what does this mean? The interpreter answered, this is Christ, who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart. Despite the devil's best efforts, this person is gracious to preserve the soul of his people. This man is behind the wall to maintain the fire of grace in the soul to teach you that it is hard for the tempted to show how this work of grace is maintained. So Bunyan puts the man behind the wall, so he can't actually see what's going on. Why is, it, why is the fire burning hotter? And it's hard to see that in our trials and, t- and temptations, is it not? The fact that the Spirit is, is, just, is giving uh, us power in our weakness. And that, that's Paul understood that. And it's hard to see, but he is with us in our afflictions. And the flame will not go out. He is faithful to give preserving grace. There's so many great, wonderful scripture passages. He carries us through the water. He will be with us through the rivers. They will not overflow. He is faithful to preserve us. Knowing God's faithfulness prevents us from forsaking Christ in our affliction. So he is faithful to keep his covenant promises. He is faithful to afflict us. And he is faithful to preserve us until the end. Um, Let's jump to some application. How does God's faithfulness... Help us in our anxiety when we are anxious about what tomorrow may bring. What are some of the passages in Scripture that talks about God's faithfulness in our anxiety? Mm-hmm. It's a promise and a happiness that seek first. 
Hmm. Yes. If God is faithful to feed these birds, He will give you what you need. Yeah. Mm hmm. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, uh, where it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. With thanksgiving. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what comes next. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, when we're anxious, we should go to God in prayer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Psalm 139 is very uh, precious to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, just um, God having you in before, before and behind, um, knowing every moment of your life before it um, began, uh, His presence uh, filling the whole universe so that wherever you you think you are too low or too high for God, he's already there. But it ends with searching about and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts or, or cares, like anxious thoughts, mm -hmm. and see if there's any grievous or offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Um, it it kind of reminds me that um, God's afflictions are meant to, to change something in me, rather than so often we want the, we want to change or we want God to change the circumstances around us, especially when you know, sometimes our afflictions involve injustice yeah. mm -hmm. um, but God also tells us to commit justice to him and mm -hmm. usually that means waiting maybe like till eternity mm -hmm. <laughs> and we, you, we're not really okay with that That's mm -hmm. how, how, how could we be unless Christ bore mm -hmm. every injustice on himself and so then we just have to say, okay, well, that's something I need to change. Um, I need to be more like Christ, mm. committing my injustices, or even just my, my mm -hmm. suffering. Sometimes suffering is meaningless. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it comes seemingly out of nowhere by no human hand, you know, natural disaster or mm -hmm. a health problem. Mm -hmm. And so some, something in me needs changing. I need more trust, more strength, more faith in God that he loves me, mm. that he cares for me, and that this is for my good. Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. That's good work, brother. Thank you. Mm. Yes. Well, I want to close with a story. And this is a story of Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. Other word, in other words, uh, he's known as B.B. Warfield. Uh, and some called him a, a brilliant theologian, a champion of confessional Christ Christianity um, during his time at Princeton, a defender of the faith. But before all these things, the people who knew him the best would say he was a faithful husband. Uh, and many know uh, Warfield was a world-renowned theologian. Um, for almost 34 years until he died in 1921. And he wrote famous books about the doctrine of the Trinity and the authority of Scripture. Uh, some would say he was a formidable foe with his pen. But most people don't know what, what happened early in his life at age 25. He married 
any Pierce uh, can heed. And they took a honeymoon to Germany. And during a fierce storm while walking in the mountains, Annie was struck by lightning, permanently paralyzing her. There was severe trauma to her nervous system, and she never recovered. And her health got worse as time went on. Uh, so imagine for a moment, just pause. You make your wedding vows. Then on your honeymoon, your spouse is permanently disfigured in a car accident, a paraplegic as a result. What do you do in that moment? Uh, you made your vows. You promised that you'd be with that person. Well, this is the situation that uh, Warfield faced. Uh, writing about what gave him strength, he talked about God's faithfulness. Uh, Romans 8.28 he wrote, he wrote about the providence of God in his life. Uh, the government of God ruling over all things, his controlling hands. He governs all, so nothing but good can befall those who seek, whom he seeks to do good. And he took comfort that even in our deep, deepest groanings, too deep for words, the Spirit intercedes for us according to the gracious will of God. And Warfield knew in his heart that God was faithful to him. Um, unwavering in his commitment to do him good. He knew Jeremiah 32, verse 1, was true in his life. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul, remembering God's faithfulness to him, reassured him in the presence. And because he knew that God was faithful to him, he in turn was faithful for 39 years to Annie. And he seldom left the home for more than a couple hours during all those years in marriage. Uh, he was a faithful husband, imitating the faithful Savior he knew so well. And this is, the, this is what is going to allow us to endure in our trials, to know that God's steadfast love endures forever. Even in our afflictions, Christ and is going to be with us, and he is faithful to us to the end. So let me pray and thank the Lord. Father, thank you that you are faithful to us. Lord, thank you that your, your faithfulness reaches to the as high as the skies, it endures to all generations. Great is your faithfulness to your people. Oh, Lord, we do pray that in our afflictions, in our trials, our troubles, that we would... With faith, look to you and trust in your, your, govern, your, your providence in our lives. Help us to, to hope against hope, uh, to look to Christ and to see that he will not leave us nor forsake us in our troubles. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, friends. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all. There's one more class next week, uh, God's Glory. And then uh, that's the end of our Attributes of God class. Um.